0: keep it try to keep it in 30 minutes or or less if possible and so that other podium was too flat and it was causing a reflection so how are you guys good do you remember last week I was saying anybody have a testimony maybe a couple of lines anybody have anything good to say for just a couple of sentences about what God's doing in your life anybody ah he's showing up Hey, that's a good testimony right there. He's showing up. Anybody? You got something that you just want to share to encourage somebody else? I know that may not be your custom here, but I'm just kind of throwing that out for you today. Anybody? Yeah, very good. afterwards, right? Y'all have pretty good potlucks here? Oh yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's good. All right, well, I'll tell you what, you ready for the scriptures today? Turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Exodus, if you have it, otherwise it'll be on the board there, I think that's going to be in the English Standard Version. Exodus chapter 19, as we continue in this theme of moving on in God, having momentum, we're talking about today in God. Now I was listening to the news the other day and I heard that Mount Everest has received more climbers this year in the last 5 months than any other time. And they're saying that there's so many climbers that they've got this line of people, it's like a traffic jam. And most of them they want to climb the mountain because there's they want to take a selfie. Or they want their moment, you know, the spotlight in in their time. A defining moment for them. Well, today we're going to be talking about a different kind of mountain. We're going to be talking about a different kind of glory. We're going to be talking about God himself. The title of my sermon is Finding Your Mount Sinai. Now, I say Sinai. Some people say it differently. I've just, since I was young, Sinai. I don't know if that's the correct Hebrew enunciation of the word. Mount Sinai. Now turn to a neighbor and say, that this message is definitely for you. Turn to somebody that's smiling at you and say, this is definitely something for you today. <laughs> if they're frowning, don't turn there. Don't turn there. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the 12 spies. How many of you remember that? The 12 spies of Israel, uh, they came, they were to go out and spy the land for 40 days and 40 nights And they did so, and 10 came back with a bad report. They had a big church meeting. It was a big bunch of blunder is what it was. And I remember talking about that because I kind of left something out. There's actually a pit stop that I failed to mention. You see, the pit stop is Mount Sinai that they had gone to right before. Chronologically, Exodus 19, the ascent there, Uh, to Mount Sinai, it happened right before that big blunder that I was preaching on a couple of weeks ago. So let me say that Mount Sinai is more than you think. We usually think of, okay, that's when Moses went up to to get the Ten Commandments and all that. They were, you know, he's trying to find the Ten Commandments. I would suggest to you that Mount Sinai was not really as much about finding the Ten Commandments as it was finding the face of God. We're going to look at it from a different angle today. The primary reason I would suggest that Israel stopped off at Mount Sinai was to find the face of God. And that's important for us. We don't realize that God wants to meet with us. Now, he had told Israel, when you read the story, go down to the base of the mountain. Have the entire nation go to the base of the mountain, and I will come down, says the Lord. And I will meet with you. It wasn't just with Moses. He wanted to meet with all of Israel, all of his covenant people in that place. And we're going to read it in just a few moments. They, they needed more than just a GPS signal to get to the promised land. They needed more than any of that. They needed a divine strategy that could only be found face to face with God. Isn't that the way we are? You know, sometimes we need the counsel of a pastor or a friend or, I don't know, going to a seminar and we can get information. And we need some things like that. But there are times, there will be times in your life, if, they, if it hasn't yet been, that you're going to need to be face-to-face with your God. Have you ever thought about that? Face-to-face with God. Now, it's true that Israel, they needed civil parameters because, let's face it, they were just destroying each other on the way out of Egypt, and they needed parameters, and, you know, they were kind of tolerating the manna, you know, the manna and the, the, the water from the rock and the cloud, and they, okay, well fine, we'll put up with this, we don't really like it because we don't really like the manna, and the, the rock is a big inconvenience, and following this dumb cloud, see, they just didn't understand, and so they, they were just complaining, and they were starting to complain to each other. They were not just complaining about Moses, they were complaining with each other about each other. You know, church fights, power plays, schisms, backbiting, blame games. They were all over the map. And of course, when you read that passage, Moses was trying to play judge and jury. and He's trying to help him out. I'll, I'll decide each case. If you know this passage, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And, of course, his father-in-law, Jethro, said, hey, man, you're crazy. You can't do that. You're going to wear yourself out. You see, it's kind of like arguing in the car on the way to church. Anybody argue in the car on the way to church? <laughs> you can't have, you're in this argument, you want to finish it, and you're getting up to the parking lot, and it's like, okay, now we got to, you know, put on our nice face. And right? I've seen people do things in the parking lot like, wow. And they're coming into church. But that was Israel; they were all over each other. They were all upset with each other. It wasn't just their immaturity and their rebellion. The bottom line is: these were some negative, negative folks. You know, the 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 they had the the syndrome. syndrome. Remember Winnie the Pooh? An Eeyore? Oh no, I don't think we're gonna make it. I don't think God loves me anymore. And. Uh, everybody maybe, uh, maybe uh, that's me what are you talking about no. <laughs> we get that way sometimes but you can't Eeyore stayed that way Eeyore was this negative person it kind of reminds me I'm going to give you my age again how many of you remember the old series on tv called hee-haw oh yeah Hee down in Texas we listened to hee-haw Now, as a young kid, I used to watch this Hee Haw, and there was a song on Hee Haw that I got it memorized in my head ever since I was a kid. And I bet you you're going to know it, too. And if you want, you can sing along because I want to sing it. It goes like this. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, gloom, (laughs) (laughs) despair. Isn't that sad? That was Israel. I used to say that. And some people say, "You know as a Christian, you really shouldn't be talking." Well, I understand. You know, I'm a human being too and I can get into that. But you know what? We wouldn't we shouldn't be saying stuff like that. They were flawed souls. They really were. And they they didn't realize that God was trying to bring promotion in their life. It really is as simple as that. Now, it was here that the Lord, he invited Moses to go up to the mountain, but not just Moses, everybody. There was an invitation for all of the nation to go up to the Moses, have a little Skype time, a little face-to-face time with God. And that's important. The only requirement that they had was that they sanctify or they consecrate themselves because you know what, in the Old Testament, we know that God did not play. If if you're going to get near to God and you were not right with God, and you didn't want to be right with God, he's going, bam, he's going to get you. Wow, that's the way it was. In Exodus 19, look at verses 16 through 22. We'll read the passage. Seven verses of scripture in the English Standard Version, and then we'll jump to chapter 20 and finish it. Here we go. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on on it in fire, and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet uh, grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses, To the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, as many will perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Now, flip over to chapter 20, and let's look at verses 18 and 19. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains uh, and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. Let's let's just stop here and pray. Pray over that. Father, help us to understand your intent here. Help us, Lord. Open the scriptures to us that we can glean our New Testament application of what this means today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. I thought we got to pray over that because that's some serious stuff. It was right here, Moses, and all of Israel heard the voice of the Lord right in the middle of giving the Ten Commandments, by the way. But Israel, they weren't really paying any attention to the content of the commandments. They were paying more attention to the thunder and they're saying, hey, look, don't let God speak to us. We're going to die if he does. Only Moses. So as you can see, answering an invitation from God to come near, it, it's quite an ordeal in the Old Testament. Not everyone's on board with it, with all the thundering and the lightning and such. You know, I, I tell you what, i mean, when I was a kid, my parents, I don't know what it was about them, but they seem to have no fear of weather. We had this covered patio in uh, in our yard, in our house, and my dad, he loved to sit out there when it was pouring down rain and thunder and lightning and even hail and well there's a tornado go by isn't that interesting? You know, and for whatever reason, he, he didn't seem to fear any of that. And as a little kid, I kind of grew up the same way. It's just thunder, it's just lightning. It's no big deal about it. You know, isn't that a tornado? I mean, it might be a tornado. I don't know. And when we look at passages like this, some people think, well, God must be angry because of the thunder and the lightning. Well, that's kind of an assumption. The people of God, they were not able to to hear or to understand God's intent with the thunders and the lightning. We just assume, oh, he wants to zap us. I mean, we, we kinda, we're kind of like that too, aren't we? I mean, some people are, you know, that... God wants to zap us if we do something wrong, walk on eggshells with God. God's going to get you. Now, I come from a background where it's taught, you, you don't live right, God's going to get you. And there wasn't a whole lot of grace in that. And some people get that mindset. But I think that their, their reaction was actually pretty predictable, wasn't it? You know, we, we really shouldn't look at God as if he's going to snap us down at any second. We have to understand that our God, he loves us so much, he's willing to throw a party. And guess what? In the party, he's going to have some fireworks. He's going to have the thunder and the lightning. He thought it was a great occasion. All right, I'm finally, I'm going to get to meet with my people face to face. Now, our our response wouldn't be too much different. We often prefer a man to stand in between God and us. Moses, you be the go-between. We like that, to buffer between us. If not a man, maybe a system between us, a tradition, a program, a method, something or someone that will buffer between us and God. You see, we don't like face-to-face. We're not used to that. We usually don't consider a face-to-face encounter with God. It's not in our vocabulary. It's not in our actions. And many times we don't make room at church for a face-to-face with God. It's just not what we do. Yet we read in our New Testament all the time, you know, Hebrews 4.16. We love this verse. I bet you know this verse. Let us come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy and grace in a time of need. We come boldly. Do we really come boldly? Do we really come at all? I think everyone has a Mount Sinai to climb. Everyone. It's a holy hill of sweet fellowship. If we will not allow ourselves to get distracted by the misconceptions and the preconceived ideas and the denominational prejudices we have about entering into a place with God, to engage with Him. You think God wants to engage? Yeah, He does. He wants to engage with us. Our problem today is that we undersell this privilege from the pulpit, in in my opinion, resulting in Almost no meaningful expectation in the congregation. I I think preachers and pastors need to sell the idea, and I say sell the idea. It's a biblical term. It's a biblical concept that God wants to meet you, with you, engage with you, with me. It's undersold. And so the expectation of that becomes minimized. Let me question you here at One Hope. How much expectation do you have as a church body to find and linger in the face of God? How much expectation? Think about it on the way home. How about in your private prayer time? To find and linger in. And what does it really mean when we use these words? This is why I like Pastor Rick Warren. I I bring him up often with you guys because... The subject matter is so pertinent, I think, to everybody. He talks about the purpose of the church, and he says the absolute primary reason to have church, the absolute best reason to have church, is very, very simple it's to love God. Love God. To love on God. How about that? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and body. If we can accomplish that, we have arrived in his teachings. He teaches startup churches to emphasize this point. He says the primary reason for brothers and sisters to gather together, the absolute most important reason, is to love on God. To express that love to him. You know, you maybe you don't have a youth ministry, but if you have worship, you've arrived. Maybe you don't have a men's ministry or a women's ministry yet, or maybe you don't have a food pantry the way you would like, or maybe you don't have this or that. But if you and I can learn to linger in the presence of God, we have everything that we need. If we don't have a sign out on the door, or maybe we don't even have the privilege of having our own building yet, yet if that body is able to linger in the face of God, you have everything that you need. It reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. You don't need to turn there. I'll just give you the gist of it. I'm sure you've heard it. Martha was busy, busy, busy getting ready for her, her invited guest. That was Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus says, I'm going to come over to your house. What would we, what would we do if, if he said, I'm going to come over to your house today? What would we do the day before? We get the vacuum out, and we get everything out. We get it all ready. We can't, just, we can't just let them come into the way we live normally, you know. She was busy, and, and I'm sure she had extravagant plans. I'm sure that she used the finest of silverware and the best plates and the best glasses that she had. And she, she pulled the recipe, the recipe book out, she got the best selection, the best thing that she could finally cook. You see, Martha, according to Rick Warren, I put it on him, but I'll save myself. She was an event-driven, program-loving, busy, busy, busy Christian with lots of stuff to do for God. And I have to tell you, in many ways, I'm just like Martha. There's a lot of things that need to get done in the house of God, in the church of God. Her sister Mary, on the other hand, she was content to just sit at the master's feet and glean every word in sweet fellowship. It drove Martha crazy. Why doesn't she get up and help? And so when she complained about her sister. Not you know, going along with the program. Jesus gave a very interesting reply. He rebuked her and he said. Mary has chosen the better part. That is the strangest answer. Mary has chosen the better thing. You mean it's better to not be ready? But. Be at his feet than to be ready? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't against serving. I mean, after all, this is the man that he talked about serving, the value of serving. I think he was one of those guys that he liked to go to every event, every dinner, every banquet. He broke out the towel and the soap, and he's going to wash somebody's feet. He's going to serve. This is what he taught. He always said, you know, I'm about my father's business. He was somebody that did a lot of work. But the point is, Mary chose a better purpose than even serving. And I believe if the nation of Israel had obeyed God at Mount Sinai, they may have had a different outcome when they get to the the 12 spies that went into the land. You see, there is no navigation without consecration. I've been saying this a few times. There is no navigation without it. The face of God, which is consecrated, it's a consecrated place, proceeds. Places of blessing. Let me say it again. The face of God, which is a consecrated place, precedes any any places of blessing and movement in God. This is what he wants from his body. Mount Sinai was a chance. It was a chance to move up and not just be categorized with all of the other cicada churches out there. You know, remember cicadas, the little cicada bugs? The shell of what was. God used to move. Don't move anymore. Yeah. Accepting God's invitation to draw near, it requires a few things. I'm going to go over just a few with you. First of all, it's going to be very simple. stuff. A little bit of faith to draw near to God, right? Because we don't see him with our eyes. So it takes a little bit of faith. I mean, Jesus said, or James said, draw near to God. God will draw near to you. Wow. Do you know that that's a conditional statement, right? In other words, if you don't draw near me, I'm not going to draw near to you. I love you. You're mine. But I want you to humble yourself and draw near to me. You do that, and I'll draw near to you. So faith is is a part of that. And how do we get that? How do we do that? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's kind of like a factory, you know. Uh, You hear knowledge mixed with God's wisdom, produces faith. God's knowledge, mixed with God's wisdom, produces faith, and faith makes purchases in the kingdom. That's how you buy stuff, by faith. It takes a little bit of faith. Add to that faith a sense of expectancy when you're drawing near. Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of, can you imagine that? You have a little, I don't know, a little prayer meeting over your house. you got three or four people around. And he said, hey, if you start doing that, I want to come in there and get in your little circle and be with you. Now, there's something about Jesus with us in our prayer. There brings a sense of excitement, expectancy. I expect him. When you and I pray, we need to expect that he'll be there because he's true to his word. So when you come near to God, Have that sense of expectancy. Mix that with a little bit of anticipation, right? A little bit of excitement. Hey, it's exciting when Jesus comes in your midst. That's an exciting thing. Because when Jesus shows up and he rendezvous with you, he's ready to take you to a higher place. That's exciting stuff. We can get excited about him. Add a little bit of hope to that. All preceded by a true, prepared heart to meet with him. Listen to Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. You'll know it. It's it's been around a long time. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. You see, if we will consecrate ourselves with the intention of ascending to a holy hill, Now, this is not a metaphorical holy hill. It's not a figure of speech. It really is a holy hill. Now, it's not a physical hill, at least not yet. But it is a place. And to stand in the holy place, it's not a physical holy place, but neither is it metaphorical. There really is a holy place, and God has your name on it. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet with you. If you do that, you will not be disappointed, I guarantee you. Now, we in our humanness, we have a tendency to guard ourselves from any display of humility or consecration, especially in a public place. I mean, in private, that's one thing. In public, that's a little more difficult. So we need some help to be able to cry out corporately as a body so that corporately we can come and arrive at this place, this holy hill in God where God is there. Reminds me of David. What's fascinating to me about the story of David at a time when he went to go live with King Saul, actually the prophet Samuel anointed him when he was a little boy in front of his brothers. And he said, you're going to be the next king. And what's interesting about that story is the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord descended upon David in that very moment when, when the prophet pronounced him to be king of Israel. He was just a little kid. Saul was reigning on the throne. But at the exact same time, this is interesting, at the exact same time that David was being anointed by the prophet, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit came upon him to trouble him. That's amazing. Ended up, you know, David ended up living with Saul. There's a long story there. And Saul would be distressed over the day. He would be distressed over many things. And so David would get out his harp, and he would begin to play that harp. He, he was very skilled with the harp. And he would begin to offer praises and worship to God with his harp. And the Bible also says that when he would play his harp, that, de, that depressing spirit, whatever it was, would leave Saul and Saul would be comforted. He would feel pretty good. Hey, David, keep, play some more of that because it kind of helps me. The point is this. I believe God will inhabit our worship music. And We have some fine, talented people here. God will inhabit our praise and worship music to help us surrender. I still think of that old hymn. Because back in the day, in the, in the 90s, I surrender all. I, I know it's old, I, I know. But, you know, it's just kind of woven into me. I surrender all. It is a surrender. Music can many times serve as a window to the soul. You know that. To make it all the more easier for us to dismantle our glory. You see, before we can arrive at this place, we can't have our glory. You know, our glory. We have to dismantle who we think we are before we enter into this place, holy place. John the Baptist said it this way. He said, I must decrease. Christ must increase. There's the prophet for you. We must dismantle and get to this place where we understand who we are in Christ in our place. It's important. Meeting God face-to-face in the secret place of our worship, hey, that is the first step in the right direction. Every tender song that we sing, giving glory to God, that can be a Mount Sinai stop-off. That's a Mount Sinai stop-off, even for just a few moments. It's It's a zone, a place, if we approach it with faith and with expectation. Consider Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Also, another familiar passage of Scripture says this: If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. I love that. I love that. It, it suggests four things. I'll pull it out for you. Real easy stuff. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Before we uh, approach God, we humble ourselves. Remember the perfume? I keep bringing it up. We get out the perfume, spiritual perfume of attraction before God. You see, pride repels. Let me move on. Secondly, we pray. We pray. We cry out. We express our needs to God. We can do that privately. We can also do it publicly. You know, I came from, I I spent a lot of years in charismatic circles, and I figured out, I've been in all kinds of circles. You can have a prayer meeting with 20 people, and you start with person number one, and they pray, and then the next person prays, and the next person prays. It would be three hours later. And you get to the last guy to pray, right? Because everyone's taking their time to pray. In charismatic circles, we don't waste that kind of time. I'm just telling you, everybody starts praying all at one time because they know God can hear their prayers. And it gets kind of loud in there, and I know it's kind of chaotic at times, but you know what? We get it done. And I'm saying that sometimes if we will just learn how to cry out to God with our need, with our issues, things begin to happen. Remember the blind man? He was blind, and he heard that Jesus was coming down the street. Does anybody know this story? He said, this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus heard that. Now, he was in a crowd. He says, Who said that? Bring that person here. Hey, what are you talking? No, I heard somebody. See, he was, there was a lot of people crying out. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things. But this particular voice caught his attention. And when he cried, I said, bring that man here. And you know the story. He brought him here. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Prayed over him. He eventually got his sight because he expressed his need. He prayed. Thirdly, moving on, hum to humble yourself. Secondly, to pray. Thirdly, to search not for God's hands but for his face. God's hands are a symbol of what God can do for you, right? If you're saying, okay, God, here's, i got a list of what you can do for me, and here it is. Okay, that's nice, and there's a, there is an appropriate place to bring those things to God, but not first. If we seek his face first, and we, when we utter to God, we utter our admiration first to him. God's favor flows wherever his face is directed. The greatest blessings don't come from the hands, the hands of God, but from his face through an intimate relationship with God. God, if he wanted that for Israel at Mount Sinai, guess what? He wants that for you and for me. So you may have heard someone say, you got to kind of press in. I don't know if you use that term here. But it reminds me of the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years. She heard Jesus' is coming. She found him. He was surrounded in a crowd of people. She had to press through the crowd, and she managed to get herself right behind him. She had to get through every obstacle. She had to have a little resolve to get to where the answer was. He was the answer. So she pressed in. And you know the story. She managed to grab his, the hem and the Bible says that virtue flowed from him when she grabbed the hem, and he didn't know what happened. Who touched me? Who did that? And one of the disciples said, Master, everybody's touching you. Everybody's thronging on you. How can you say that? He goes, no, 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 no. This wasn't just anybody that wants something. She said in her heart, if I only touch his hand, I'll have my answer. She got So that's a pressing in. It's all part of that face time with God. Fourthly, and finally, uh, in reference to 2 Chronicles 7, is to forsake our wicked ways. Oh, boy, that was forsake. Are Christians wicked? We can be. <laughs> Don't look at anybody right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we have that Adamic nature. We are born with it, right? That Adamic nature, there ain't nothing good about that. And we have to learn to set that thing aside, unemploy that nature, and walk with Christ. But we are at times. So his face, finding his face, finding his presence, has a way of killing off the crooked paths, the the choices that we make. Life is just a bunch of choices. We can either choose to go the right way or choose to go the wrong way. And it begins to look crooked a lot of times. Everyone here, including the pastor here, everyone here is guilty of being wicked at some time or another. In closing, if I can have Matt come. What are some of the benefits of finding this face-to-face secret place? What are some of the benefits? I, I jotted down a few. How about answering the hard things? God wants to answer the hard things in your life. Matter of fact, he's had that answer all this time. All we have to do is meet him in that place. How about answering the difficult things in life? How about finding closure over a matter? Maybe that ap- a- applies here. How about healings? You'll find healings in, the, in that FaceTime. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, all the above. God wants to restore us if we'll meet with him, if we will engage with him. How about a real direction in life? Maybe some of you have felt like, I don't feel like I have any direction. I don't know what to do in life. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be or do or any of that, those things. How about purpose? How about gaining a sense of self-worth? Feel like I'm just Nothing. You know, you might feel that way. How about to relieve a sense of loneliness? Let me say that again because it's for somebody. How about to relieve a sense of loneliness? In the face of God, he will fill you to an overflow. He'll melt you like butter. Change your life. Yeah, it's a pressing in. All we need is the perfume of surrender dismantle the glory and grab the harp that's all that you need as wonderful as our praise team is we don't even need the actual musicians i'm not saying we should get rid of them you know we we like them but we it, all it takes is to hum a hymn in your heart in in your in your on, on the way to work or somewhere you're driving make a little sanctuary Well, I'm going to put it on you today. Maybe you're not used to this. I don't know. You might say this, Tony, when I pray and seek his face, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I, I, I don't feel like I make a connection with God when I pray and seek his face. I know what you're talking about, but it doesn't really work that way for me. Sometimes I feel like God doesn't even care about me. Is that anybody? Anybody dare to, to raise their hand over that? If that's you today, I want to meet you here and pray with you just for a few moments. Tony, I don't think that I've ever been to the holy place that you speak of. I don't think I've ever even thought about it before. Maybe I'm not worthy. If that's you, meet with me here just for a few moments. I want to pray with you. You might be saying, I'd like to be. I would like to have that place in God. Just help me, we'll help you you stand right there, we're going to pray if there's anybody else you want it, and I'll tell you what, I'll make it even easier maybe I've described some of those things to you, but you're not getting up here and that's crazy right where you are you pray this with me and we'll pray just like this, after me Lord Jesus Christ you pray out loud make it a public thing I need to be in your place, in your high place Lord Jesus, I want to be face to face with you. Help me to find this place. Dismantle my glory. Grab my harp. I surrender. In Jesus' name, I sense the presence of the Lord. We need him church we need him more than anything else in life father bless this group bless this group bless them with your presence father help us to know you the way you know us you choose to love us even when we're loved less you love us so today we receive our portion of your love and grace your mercy to us we receive it now We'll walk out of here just a little different. Father, we ask, we pray over the food today. Bless the food. Cause it to be nourishment in our bodies. Sanctify it. Bless those that have put such an effort to making it happen for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hug a few necks before you get out of this place. We're going to go eat over here, I think. I'm not sure where we're going to eat. You are dismissed. God bless you.